You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Santana Perez, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Welcome back to Earn and Invest. I'm Doc G. 2020 and 2021 have been like no other years. Wedged between a pandemic, a bona fide recession, and unprecedented social upheaval, the average American, if such thing exists, continues to struggle to make ends meet. Rising from this struggle like a phoenix are small business people, entrepreneurs, and long-term stock market investors. Turn on any news channel and you'll hear about the social justice issues facing women and people of color. Unfair and inadequate policing, the glass ceiling, a lack of political representation. These are but a few sentences in a book that currently is too long to read here and indeed is still expanding. Today, we're going to hear from three real estate investors, women, people of color, immigrants, and they're going to answer one simple question. Cavell Taylor is a real estate investor with a portfolio currently valued at almost $10 million. She also manages commercial and medical office buildings for a New Jersey-based developer. Santana Perez is a real estate investor in her early 30s and has pivoted from a career in energy and trading and corporate finance. Santana spent 21 years in poverty and in the foster care system. She discovered the Financial Independence Retire Early community in 2018 and has been steadily accumulating properties with plans to retire in her late 30s. She has single-handedly built her real estate portfolio to 10 doors valued at $1.2 million while raising her son as a working parent. Ming began real estate investing in 2014 and early 20s, then quit her W-2 job in 2020 when her real estate income surpassed her family expenses. With a portfolio valued at $2 million, she now spends most of her time with her husband and two young children, plus works on her nonprofit Build Her Village, which empowers working women with knowledge. Ming also owns Alina May Maternity, a fashion brand providing pregnant women professional-looking, comfortable clothing. This will be the last time you hear my voice on this episode. Cavell Santana Ming, what is it like to be a woman, a person of color, or an immigrant real estate investor today? Well, I will tell you that it definitely has its challenges. And there have been moments along my journey where I thought there's no way that this is really, really happening. For example, I was applying for, I don't know if it was a mortgage or refinance. I had submitted all my documents and the broker, the mortgage broker was like, I guess, super excited. Like, I'm going to close this deal. And he offered to 
bring the documents to my home to sign. There's no DocuSign at the time. And I was like, sure, you know, that, that would be great. I, I really appreciate it. He comes to my front door and he rings the bell and I open the door. And the first thing he says is, oh, I thought you were a blonde. And the, the look on his face was one of sheer terror. All of the blood drained from his face. I could tell that he was not expecting what he saw. You know, I'm a black woman. I had purple dreadlocks and I had a really strong balance sheet. My credit score was like high 700s, low 800s, great cash flow. I mean, it was like a great package. And I don't think he was expecting to see a woman of color on the other side of that door and his reaction definitely exhibited his shock that someone like me could possibly amass that kind of, you know, wealth and, you know, be in a position where I was trying to do what I was trying to do. So, so that was, that was like an experience that really shook me. Did you close the deal in the end? I, I did. I did close it because, you know, the bottom line is my closing the deal was more important than his reaction to me, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to do business with him anymore, but I, I still closed it. But, you know. Have you guys like walk out of a deal just because like how they see you as a woman or as of color whatsoever, you're so pissed and you just like a walk out? I've never done that before. I've never walked out because I, I'm always of like, you know, I... In that whole, in the journey, you're always going to meet people who are going to be disrespectful or don't believe you or have a negative reaction, but that's not going to stop me from climbing the wall that I'm trying to climb or jump over that hurdle. I'm just like, all right, you've got that reaction. Give me what I want. Get out of the way. I'm going to leave you in my wake kind of thing. Would you like for someone like that, would you ever do business with the person again, even though like they probably have like a best rate or anything like that? Probably not. I mean, I've never, I've never, I I say that now because I've never been presented with that situation where I was required to, or the opportunity presented itself to do business with uh, that individual again. So I can sit here and say, no, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, you know, but th- then that per- maybe by doing business with that person, I'm I'm giving them a lesson. Like you know, people like me exist, and if that person wants to do business with me again, maybe their disposition might change. You know, so I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about that now that I think about it a little bit. So I had a similar thing, but not with like a mortgage or a lender's perspective, but like a yearly, it's with the contractors, right? And then so like for me, I had a landscaper, and he does like a lot of the tree works. And we're from like out of nowhere, Ohio back then. So there are not a lot of like people to choose from. And his price was substantially lower than a lot of other people. And let's just say like his behavior was like not that professional to the point like a husband was really mad with like some things that he was saying that was that was more like a harassment in a way already. But every single time I call someone else and I know he's price, every single time I know I was paying at least probably like a 20, 30% higher than he's price. And my heart just aches a little. And then I was like, oh, should I just kind of like bite this down and just accept or whatever? And my husband is always like, have some dignity, girl. Like, don't, don't like try to like go back. Right. And then, you know, like how for a woman, like even though I, I work for a nonprofit like empowering women like I even have those issues myself like 
you you tend to start sending like giving forgiveness to others, right? And blame for yourself. So I started to think about things like, oh, was that that day? Like I wasn't like, I was sending the wrong signals. Was that day? Like he was just having a bad day. Like you start having like excuses for someone else, right? Instead of just being like, no, he was just being a jerk. And it's definitely not right. your problem, right? And that's right. the part of the, like, I was kind of like, Every single time I'm paying extra, I started wondering if it's my fault somehow. And then this is the time, like, my husband wanted to, like, slap me awake and be, no, that's definitely not your fault. This is not appropriate. This is not acceptable. I have two interesting stories to add. So one of the stories is really the most recent one. And I think it's part of being in real estate as a woman, being in real estate as a single woman. And it's, it's just interesting. So what happened was I had went and planned um, to have dinner with two of my other investor friends who are males. Well, they had basically met up with um, someone who was trying to win over their business before. And they were like, Hey, we're having drinks with this lender, meet us afterwards for dinner. And so as soon as I walk up, I catch the tail end of sort of their drinks. And the first thing, the first thing that lender says to me, wow, he said that you were pretty, but he didn't say that you were beautiful. <laughs> I, it, it just, it just <sighs> baffled me. And, you know, you kind of go through the motions like, oh, yeah, you know, I have this portfolio. He gave me his card. I just threw it away. I was like, no, thank you. Like, no, thank you. And then second sort of scenario that happened is for clarity, I am single and I am dating. And I, you know, have a little bit of conversation around my real estate and what I'm doing. So this prospect of mine assumes that I'm now going to be his realtor and any deal that I pass on, surely I can just, he's like, I just, he was giving me all of his deal parameters. Like I would love to come in with like at least 25% equity and this and this and this and this. And my response is I'm not a realtor. I'm not interested. Bye. (laughs) It, It, Again, I think there is just so many assumptions around our labor, our experience, our expertise being free to anyone and everyone in our business is just up for grabs for anyone and everyone. And there are so many liberties that people try and take with us. And I think the best way to overcome that is just shutting it down. It's just like, I have no interest in speaking with you further. I have no interest in doing business with you further if this is how you're treating us at sort of the forefront of the relationship. And so those are just two mind-baffling experiences in the last week. And I'm sure all of us have so many other experiences over the years that we've been in this business. It's interesting because like, if you think about from the male perspective, like I'm not... I personally, I don't think like women equality should be like a woman thing. It should be like an everybody thing, right? So I don't want to turn men against the women personally. So, but like a, a lot of situations, it's really funny. Can you imagine if like, say Doc G and want to do business with like my husband, like a Joseph Mercer, 
And the first thing Dr. G said, like, oh, like I heard a so, so, so saying you're handsome. Like, I didn't think you're so hot. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would imagine that's not something that's common. Like, why would people think it's really like normal to say that to you? And that was just, that was to me, like, it's just really interesting. Like, why, why would people like think that way? Right. And a lot of times, like people don't realize they think it's like a flattering, like I'm complimenting you. But at the same time, it's like, uh, if you wouldn't compliment your male parties, like would you really compliment to a lady? And what does that really mean, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I, you know, I have I have another story, but this has this is an office story, and it it's it's the way I took the presumptions that someone made and I turned it around on them. And I was a little obnoxious, but I was feeling obnoxious and I was, I was about to, there was a meeting that was about to start. I was the only woman. I was the only person of color and I was sitting at the table. So first I walk in the room and I I look around the table and not everybody was seated and the two heads of the table, the seats were open. So I was like, I'm going to sit at the head of this table. So I sat at the head of the table and I put my papers down. I'm just like reviewing the papers and like, okay, let me get ready for this meeting. The guys start walking in and one of them says to me, Cavell, go, go get us some coffee. And I said, oh, no, no, thanks. I'm not thirsty, but thanks for offering. And I just kept reading. So I totally like on purpose misinterpreted his question and threw it back at him. And my boss at the time just like bursted out laughing. You know, I, I just didn't budge. I just kept, you know, reading and That's you know, so nobody had any coffee. They wouldn't even get up to get the coffee. You know what I mean? Did you have people kind of like mistake you almost like not as the investor? Like, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm Asian, right? But my realtor, she is like a blonde and my husband is a white male. And then when we go to the open house and stuff, you can tell like the seller would think they are a couple. I am, I don't know, like a babysitter or something like that. And like, they kind of like wonder a little bit. And especially like between me and my husband, like I'm definitely like the more pro real estate one. Like I would go in and I would talk about like, Hey, I see this, I see this. And I think like, Oh, this is like the bonus room, blah, blah, blah. I will start introducing about a house. And then like, you can start to see like, they start getting confused because they have like some presumptions about who you are just because of how you look and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys oh, have yeah. like a similar experience. All the time, all the time. I've had discussions, you know, sometimes my husband's there and we're talking to a contractor and I'm asking the questions and he's responding to my husband. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm the one I hear, buddy. You know, let's let's look at me when I answer my question. I've also had like even outside of outside of business. I remember when my children were very young and I was in the supermarket with them and they were in the trolley and a woman approached me and said, you're so good with those kids. How much do you charge? Like I was the nanny, (laughs) you know? So it, it happens, uh, it happens all the time. And then when, you know, for a while, you know, when, when you fill out a form, I'm switching, I'm going all over the place, but you know, when you're, you're applying for a mortgage, a residential product, and there's a section on the application that asks you what your ethnicity is, how you self-identify. Yeah. I've always, I've always checked, like, I will not, 
I will not reply. And because I remember when reading about like redlining uh, in the United States and the way people of color were charged higher interest rates, which is why I think going back to that broker, when I didn't check that box and say what my identity was, if I did self-identify and I said, I refuse to answer this question, when he showed up at my door after seeing and and like, you know, saying, okay, this is the rate you're going to get. I got a great rate. I was like, yeah. And then it's like, oh my God, you know, he shows up at the front door and it's like, I could have made so much off of this person, <laughs> you know? So I don't check that little box on when I'm applying for a residential product. So once I started reading up a little bit more, um, especially now that we know that financial institutions have actually done this, and it's been proven, uh, which is why they've had to pay millions and billions of dollars to these home buyers. I actually did um, have an issue like that with one of my first mortgages where we weren't being charged like actual market rent. So I actually refused on any type of lender qualification to check that as well. But I wanted to go back to what you talked about being in the supermarket, because that is actually what happens with me as well. So my son is um, biracial, so I'm Latina. And I'm very, you know, dark complected. My son is very light complected. And I remember uh, a few times I was at the park and, you know, other ladies would say that like the same thing, like, oh my God, he loves you so much. I was like, he's my child. Of course he does. (laughs) But it's just, it's so interesting. I think these like assumptions, you know, that happen, whether it's real estate or not, as like a woman of color. And, you know, just like really quick, I wanted to talk about another instance that kind of goes hand in hand with being the nanny, right? Versus the actual mother. I was at one of my properties and I was kind of just doing like my quarterly inspection that I do. One of my units was vacant. We had a, a tenant moving in in about a month. You know, I just go in there, kind of look for small stuff, and then I'll just let my cleaner know or my handyman, like, hey, there's XYZ that I need to get done. One of the contractors was coming by to give me a bid. And so I'm at the door, right? The door's open because I'm cleaning. And he just, you know, he kind of walks in and he's like, hey, he's like, do you know when the owner's going to be here? I'm, you know, meeting him. My name is gender neutral Santana. I'm meeting him. I'm going to give him a quote. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Is that right? <laughs> and he's like, when are you going to be done cleaning here? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> And so I, you know, quickly corrected him that I am the owner and I own all three of the properties that are on the, on the lot. And I let him kind of go through the motion, but he already knew that I had already canceled him. And it's those kind of assumptions that that will make you lose money, especially dealing with women, real estate investors. My thought, it was like, it's not only just a hurting woman at the same time, I felt like it hurts men as well. Like in my family, like I have been the one that running the family business and doing majority of real estate stuff. And I used to have like a full-time job and my husband, he is more like the traditional mother's role. Like he actually take care of the babies and actually like, you know, take the kids to all different activities and stuff. When we are in, let's say like a house and meeting with the contractors, people don't expect him to run after the kids. And if they're like going around 
And then they're also like, just they, they, not only they don't talk to me with the real estate stuff, right? But they they kind of like don't really support like a dad into like a different like a child caring activities either. And I felt like that part, in a way, it's unfair for both genders at the same time to have like the wrong stereotypes. So I actually wanted to start with not something necessarily about myself, but me seeing other women. So first off, Cavell is a badass. <laughs> And I love seeing and hearing her story. I think me being a little bit, a few years into my investor game, you know, having this like woman of color like Cavell, who was like built, literally, she said she went into her first deal, didn't really even know what to do, but she had the audacity and the confidence to be like, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. And those are the kind of stories that I love seeing from women because it shows me that she can do it. I can do it. I'm going to do it. And that is probably one of the most powerful things of being a woman real estate investor is that you see all of these hustlers who have paved the way, who have shown us that it's able to be done. And I I mean, I love that. I love that. So do I. You know, the other thing that I really love about being a woman is the the being able to bear children and conduct business and cart my little babies around and their baby Bjorns on when I'm going to do a walkthrough or I'm meeting with contractors and I've got my baby. I I have a I have a I ha- I feel the sense of like superpower, you know, that I'm just so powerful because I bore children and I'm still making things happen and I've got them in tow. I really enjoy setting an example for, I have sons, so I I enjoy setting an example for them of of what, what it's like to, you know, have a mother or a woman in their life that's, you know, doing things that are wealth building and helping earn money for our family. And then, you know, meeting other women who are doing the same thing. It's, it's just, it's just amazing. And, and it makes me happy. And I love meeting other women who are doing, doing these incredible things. You know, it's just, you know, before the internet, it, well, I don't want to say before the internet, but before <laughs> social media, it was really difficult to find each other. So I'm really glad that, that we could do it much easier now, but that like, that wasn't a logical conclusion, but I think you guys know what I mean. I felt there are like two things. One is I felt in general, like women are more supportive of each other. This is at least how I felt. Like, I don't know how many, because like the three of us met in the lady, like landlord groups, right? Like essentially, like in, in this like Facebook group chat, but that was women only in that particular group. And some of my right, favorite yes. like fire groups or like money or real estate groups has been the female only groups. And then like the people in the main group where all men and women are together, they're just like, people are really mean and they're nasty. And yeah. so like, I kind of like to hide in my little like a female only like a corners and trying to learn with these women, like people like to help and stuff like that. So that's like one thing I felt like, okay, sometimes I really want like my husband to see some of the content, but he can't even join. Like he is not a female, right? right? right. So that is like mm-hmm. one advantage that mm-hmm. you can really feel it. And the second one is, because you're a woman, like the stereotype, it's bad for you, but it's also like, it could be 
if you use it, could be leverage and good for you, right? So one of my friend, you know how like right now it's like a war trying to get houses and she's like a 38 weeks pregnant. And in order to get this house, she literally, she told me this word by word. I just swinged my big belly in front of a seller and asked them for the help. <laughs> this is how she gets it. You know? <laughs> and another thing, it's like, not only that, but like being a female in general, like I think there are more connections like you can make with other people, right? So like last year, my realtor, like she, she closed a whole bunch of deals. And then like all these deals, like the buyers are kind of similar, right? So they have been like a stay at home moms and they have some savings from the past. And then they're holding on to this. They don't know where to invest. And they really trust my realtor because my realtor has been through that. And so like she, so like the a, a male realtor would not got these deals, but she could because she could connect with these women. So like that felt like that part is really a advantage of being a female, being more sensitive and then able to communicate that these are all like the good things and why women could work really well, like in real estate, right? I love mm-hmm. how you talked about the supportive network in general that women have. I feel like most of the time when we're talking to either like predominantly male investor groups, there's a lot of this egotism that's completely smothering the air where you can't breathe. And so one of my, one of my real estate investor friends, she actually organized a whole bunch of different women investors for this dinner. And it was like, yes, we're all investors, but we're also women. And it was so funny because we were talking about the conversations that we had, right? They naturally migrated into being a real estate investor and being a mother, having multiple children, having to like balance like full-time careers in addition to real estate investing. And, you know, also talking about like potential like syndication deals that we wanted to do together and bring each other on. And it was just this very like collaborative and dynamic environment that I've actually never felt at any sort of real estate and networking event. Everything that I've ever went to that's a real estate investor network is everyone's always trying to get the next deal, right? Like what deals do you have? I'll bring you the next deal. You bring me this deal. And there's no like human connection beyond that. And after that real estate dinner, we, none of us really even knew each other. And now we're all like friends having happy hours and dinners together and like just connecting on Facebook and LinkedIn and, you know, talking to each other about deals that we're doing, like actively like building each other up. And it was just so transformational. And I think that's like the power of being a woman real estate investor is that you understand, yes, economics makes sense, but it's also about the relationships that you build. And hopefully cultivate and grow. I love those like a female only like networking events. Cause like in general, because you're in a male dominated industry, right? So like in general, the females in this industry already like have similarities with each other. I feel like myself, if it just met someone at the playground and then they're having kids as well, like in my life, I talk about money. I talk about real estate. I talk about fire and not a lot of women actually interested in this actually talk with me. But then when you go to like these like real estate, like talk, talking with like, you know, you two or like talking with other like a female investors, like you in general have a lot of more like a common topics, right? Like what I really like about that part. I, I felt like majority of people, like if, if, 
I, when I used to go to work during lunchtime, like a lot of the topics I couldn't join in. And a lot of like the guys, and when they talk about the stocks, they talk about like cars and they talk about like houses. Like I like those topics, yeah. but in general, in real life, you don't really meet a lot of like female investors that have a common interest with you or like a friends that have a common interest with you. And even at parties, I find myself like talking to a lot of guys because I guess my interests are just aligned with them. And my husband actually have more like conversation and common topics with all the moms because he is the one like taking care of the kids and stuff. Have you guys ever like been in a situation where you like felt unsafe or anything like that? I don't ever host open house by myself ever. I literally have to like train my husband the word by word. What do you say? Like when people asking questions, how do you introduce like this house? And I make flyers with all those information. So, so he could talk as le- little as possible with all that hustle. Like I still don't go to an open house and to just have strangers coming to me. Like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Like if you guys just invest in like a better area so, so you don't have to be concerned with these kind of things. But that's just at least how I feel. No, there's been times where I'm like walking somewhere and I don't feel safe, you know, and I you, you do the thing where you put the keys and like if somebody comes like you got to get ready to punch them with your keys. You know <laughs> what I mean? I've done that. But like in real estate, I can't say that there's been an interaction where I felt threatened or unsafe. I don't think it's ever happened it, and it hasn't crossed my mind, you know, and I've thrown open houses at, at my properties and it hasn't crossed my mind. And, you know, now that we're talking about it, I'm like, man, you know, I took a lot of risks and anything could have happened. You know what? Wait, I take that back. I just remembered something. I remember once I was a, I was a real estate broker for a very short while. I was selling this house for someone and the I think there was a tenant in this building that had mental health issues. So this is the one time where I really felt threatened and afraid. I think this tenant had mental health issues and I don't know why he was so upset, but he said, I'm going to go inside and get my gun and I'm going to shoot you. I can't believe I just, I forgot this. And so he ran inside and I left, I was having an open house at the end the, there were like tenants in the building. And I was like, forget this. And I packed up all my stuff and I left and I called, I called the seller and I was like, your tenant's crazy. Your tenant just threatened to shoot me. And they're like, oh yeah, he's harmless. I was like, no, he's not. He threatened me with a gun. And I was like, you know, so if I, if I go to do an open house back there, he's like, he can't be on the property. Like you, you have to get him out of there or something, but how could I forget something like that? That was like, (laughs) that was pretty crazy, but yeah. So I have been threatened by a crazy man. That is insane. Bizarre. Have not had as many negative experiences, luckily, What I do is I do the same thing as Ming. I don't show houses by myself. I actually do. I will to an extent of do like an open house where it's like an hour, like a 10, 10 o'clock to like 11 o'clock. And I have a certain amount of people that are going to come. I told everyone to come at 10 o'clock. So every I'm showing the unit to everyone all at once. And so that's essentially to like protect myself in the situation where there's like a one-off, like 
person, man, woman, whoever it is trying to, you know, do harm in some form or fashion. But I think there's things like that we have to think about, especially being in the Houston metro area. There's been numerous stories, numerous stories over the years of like women realtors going to show the properties, being murdered, raped, because there's there's sometimes this level of trust that we put into society in general to do the right thing. And unfortunately, that ends in dire consequences. And so after I heard like one story, I was like, nope, <laughs> not, not going to do this. That's not going to be me. I, you know, I have wow. this baby, you know, my son wow. that relies on me and I just have to be ultra cautious. And so I will never do uh, a showing with just one person unless I know I am well protected in a situation where I feel safe or somebody else is tagging along with me. I was thinking about that because like uh, being a single parent, like it probably just uh, being an extra hard, like for me, because I was harassed by one of the landscapers and then it's just someone like we've used before. So like my husband has met him before and then it was me meeting him by myself alone for the first time. And then that was when the incident happened. And I'm like, still like, I was like a shaken like afterwards, but like after that, I just never met someone I don't trust about myself anymore. I always kind of use my husband as a prop and just Joe, you go there to do that. And then I, I try to do a lot of communications by text, by phone, and then trying to be like as little as possible. And especially right now, like there's a lot of the Asian, like a hate crime. So I try to like not even like go out like by myself to meet like a strange people as much as possible. But like, you know how like Cabell said, like, oh, ready to punch. I have like linguine like arms. Like I don't really trust myself, like defend myself. Linguine like, arms. <laughs> yeah, form. I'm the type of person if I go upstairs, I'll have like heavy breathing. So like like I, I can cry like really loud, but that wouldn't help. Um, so like I, I'm not trusting myself to like protect at all. So like I always try to have my husband like tag along, and he is literally just being a prop there. Like I don't really, and then that will lead into a situation where people just start talking to him instead of me, right? And so like this is like one of the questions like we're always like facing, especially recently. As a woman's woman real estate investor, like knowing what you know now, what is like one thing that you would want to tell your younger self or maybe other women who might seek you out as a mentor? I would, well, that's two questions. One thing I would tell my younger self is, you know, I got I got started later than I wish I had. And I would tell my younger self to party less. <laughs> Uh-huh. and work more. But, you know, looking back, I don't regret hanging out as much as I did. I had a great time, but I think I would have used my spare time a lot more intelligently. But, you know, it's because I'm armed with the knowledge now. I mean, back then I know I was searching and I used to say, oh, I want to have a million or, you know, I want to make money, but I, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know you know, I thought that it was like, you know, go to school, get an advanced degree, get a good job and make a lot of money like that. To me, I thought that was the path. 
And I think I would tell my younger self now that like, no, that's not the path. It's real estate. Get started right now and learn how to work the numbers. And I think that anyone coming to me who would be looking to me as a mentor, I would tell them to really try to focus on understanding the way the numbers work in real estate and to not get caught up in the idea that you don't have money because that is really not important. If you've got hustle and you've got drive, you can make anything happen. You know, you don't need thousands and thousands of dollars to get into your first deal. There's a lot of capital out there. There's a lot of people who don't want to do the work. And if you come to the table with a deal, you'd be surprised at the way things will start to come together. And it's just like talk to everybody and anybody. A lot of people aren't going to listen. They're going to shut the door in your face, but don't let that stop you from moving forward. I think for me, like if I would tell my younger self, it's just like a stop putting so much emotions into it. This is a business and treat it like a business. So if there are people like shutting the door in front of you, it's not your fault, like knowing that. And then try to be a little bit like a badass, like well, like instead of trying to blame yourself and have the self-doubt all the time. I don't know if this is like a female thing, but like I felt this is. And just to be more confident about yourself and that you're doing great, like all that kind of stuff and have that confidence. I think that's something what I want to tell myself, even when I was like invited to like the camp mustache. And then like the first question you asked, like, am I even qualified to speak at such event, right? Until when you actually open your mouth and then a lot of people give you good feedbacks and you're like, oh, yeah, I should have start helping people like earlier, Right. Um, so that leads to my second point. Like I would also tell myself to start like contribute back to the society a little bit earlier than what I have done. So I started my nonprofit like last year, but honestly, like I could have started it way earlier to share like as little knowledge as I had like before, kind of like a doc G, like, you know, open a podcast and trying to get the people together and trying to share like all these knowledge to the publics. A lot of people, you'll be surprised at how little they know. And then like, I've met a, a woman in their like sixties, uh, two years till retirement has zero savings and trying to get to like the age where they can start taking like social security as soon as possible. Right. Like they sometimes you assume like you know very little once you start meeting other people you start to realize how much you actually know right so that's one part and also like kind of different than what Cavell said I felt like I partied too little I started investing (laughs) way too little So I started investing as soon as I got my job offer, right? And I had like a very single-minded, like, this is my goal. I'm very goal-oriented. So I did like everything you can imagine, like in my life, I've done like Airbnb, I've done like all kinds of hustles, like I've sold so many things, like a drop shipping, like FB, like you name it, all these kind of things. And I have like literally no hobby, no life. My only hobby was making money. And that was my hobby for the past seven years. And what you missed is a lot of the connections, the network and the people around you. And it's not until like after I quit my W-2, actually a little bit earlier before I quit my W-2, I was on maternity leave and all that kind of stuff. I had time to start connecting with people and building the community. And I realized building community is not just like making yourself feeling good, but also it actually helps with your deals, right? Like last year, I got like so many deals just done 
they're under the market like deals. And because you start talking to people, you start helping people. And this does have your almost the emotional values as well as the business values. And I wish like I actually realized that earlier instead of very single-minded. That's make money, 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 money. That's fire, 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 right? Yeah. So I think from my perspective, um, the biggest thing that I did early on in both my professional career and my real estate career is I just put a lot of barriers and limitations on myself. Of I remember for a while I did my first Airbnb and I just did it by chance because I was like, oh crap, I can't get out of my apartment lease, but I really want to buy a house. So I did it. Nobody told anyone because it was illegal. (laughs) But I said to myself after I did that, I said, there's no way that I could do a remote Airbnb. And then fast forward a few later, a few few years later, and I remote managed like five of my rental units. And then I'm about to add like seven more. And so, and then there was another thing too, around like investing outside of the area that I lived in. And I even said the same thing. Like I, there's no deals that I can find where I live. So I don't know if I can buy a deal. And I put that barrier on myself for quite some time. And then once I started expanding outside of that and saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it, see how it goes. And I've been able to scale up like quite effectively from there. And I think the biggest thing is just, if you don't know something, go and learn it, go and figure it out, spend some time doing the dirty stuff, right? You don't like finding tenants, do it. So you at least know how to do it. You don't like doing, now I carry my screwdriver and my bag of tools and everything um, on <laughs> everywhere I go. I was actually, I'm buying a building, Bill's buying a building too, but I'm buying a building and one of the doors was like off its hinge, right? And I was like, hold on, like, let me go get my tool bag. And so that, that tenant had just placed her door to the side because it was just missing screws, right? But like small stuff like that, like a lot of people aren't comfortable with basic maintenance. And so these are like things that you're going to have to learn. And I wish I would have learned a lot of this stuff earlier in my years. I feel like I would have been a lot more handy than I am now, but I, I mean, maintenance 101. Now I hire most people for it, but it's so important as a real estate investor, like you, you need to know like small telltale signs of what's going on. You might not need to fully repair it or fix it yourself, but you should at least have the knowledge of what's going on. And just those barriers and limitations, like strip them away. Whatever you want to do, learn learn how to do it and just go after it. Question, like in this crazy market, like how did you guys actually find these two deals that you guys are closing right now? And where's the money from? Well, my deal, one of my partners, he found it. I think he got it through a broker. It was like an off-market deal. And the seller... I, Sellers owned it for a really long time. The rents are way under market. The building is structurally sound, but it's ugly when you go inside. It's just, it looks, it's just got like fake wood paneling and it's just oh. ugly. So it was like, yeah, let's try to take this down. And this is actually my first commercial deal. All of my deals have been residential. So they've been like four units, two to four units. 
And I literally, well, before this happened, I said, I want to learn how to underwrite a commercial deal. So I started reading books. I started talking to everybody about it. And then I was introduced to somebody who introduced me to somebody else, blah, 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 blah. So the it's like an off-market deal. And where the money is coming from is uh, we've got a combination. So the general partners are bringing a little bit of money to the table. We have some investors who are putting money in as limited partners, and we're also financing the construction and the acquisition. So it's like my first syndicated deal. Um, and, and it's great. I'm having a really good time. Cool. Mine kind of happened a little bit similar to Bell's, but mine is actually, it's a 14 unit mixed use retail and commercial. And the way I found it was essentially because another deal that I had looked at was something I just did not want to take on. It was a 15 unit and it was run by a slumlord, like a hundred percent. The pictures were deceiving, went to walk the property huge foundation repair, full gut. Um, it was two stories. There was four buildings, all new roofs had to be placed on them. Like just insane. We were running through the construction budget and we put a construction budget of around 600,000. Oh, wow. And the purchase price would have been around 600,000 and 600,000 for the rehab was like conservative. And so I remember I just left that deal and I'm like, oh, this is awful. And so I went home, kind of sulked for a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm in town right now and I don't know when I'm going to be back. And so I just got on LoopNet and I had seen this building before, but I had put that barrier on myself around this is too expensive. I don't think I can afford it. I don't think I'm ready for it. And I had told myself that six or seven months ago because um, he had tried to sell it, took it off market, brought it back on market. And so I ended up calling the broker, the listing broker that day, that evening. And I was like, listen, I like the pictures. I want to go look at the units tomorrow. Can you set up a showing? And I walked some of the units. I walked all the retail units and I put in LOI that day. I just have this like overwhelming amount of confidence. Like I'm going to get this deal. And sure enough, like they accepted the LOI. We got under contract. I didn't actually have a realtor. And so I had hired a real estate attorney to negotiate my um, contract. And so one thing that he did is he actually negotiated the broker's fee, which is around $40,000 that I'll get back at closing. So it's just, it's just crazy the types of opportunities once you take those barriers off from yourself. And so I'm financing this deal. I'm 1031-ing two of my properties to buy this one. So I'll get rid of four of my doors to buy 14. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, see now that I don't think it, I don't think if you're not, if you're not a white male, like it doesn't even matter. It's not even a hurdle to be a woman of color. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, this, I mean, we've got, we've got the challenges, but it certainly doesn't stop us at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously. I mean, you guys are like kicking butt out there and none of us are white men. So for your team, are they like a majority women or are they a majority men? 
my team, it's, it's, I'm the only woman, but we're all people of color. Like we are literally the United colors of Benetton, <laughs> my team we're from, <laughs> but I'm the only woman, <laughs> but it's yeah. cool. They're, 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 they're cool guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My team is mostly Latino males. And so the only woman that works for me is my realtor. And I just bring her in on the smaller deals, the the bigger deals. I don't really work with her on. I'm trying to think of any other women I have. No, they're all males. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. Like, I don't know if this is like a intentional or not. My realtors are women. And so is my, the mortgage broker, like the lender I use, she is also a woman. And then like a, today, I just saw the closing attorney named Linda. So she is actually a woman. Like, like, I, I so like all the people like afford the deal I'm closing right now, like the whole, this is like a whole female team. So I'm actually kind of proud of that. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. But I, I sometimes, I don't know, like if this is just me, like not being confident or anything like that, like, but I definitely have used like a more like a white male name to do business. I just said, because I felt like you can get almost like automatic respect. So originally, like I did use my husband's like a profile picture and name to register with like a bigger pockets. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because, you know, going into this, you know, we automatically assume that being a white male will maybe it will make a difference. But I I think we're all proof that that it doesn't, right? We're we're able to accomplish this as women of color and and do it well. I mean, you guys are kicking ass. So yeah, but I can I can understand what, what that's like, you know, because people I, people don't even know what my name is. Sometimes I don't use my profile picture like I'm should I use it or shouldn't I, you know, I don't know. Or I created an, a Gmail account that just has my initials so you can't see, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I'll use that email. So yeah, I, I can understand what you mean because you never know who who what the person on the other side is thinking or how they're gonna judge you, you know, but then there's those moments where like, you know, screw you. I am who I am. And I got where I am because of who I am. And at what point do you actually got that confident being like, Hey, like, it doesn't matter. Like my gender is not my identity, like a part of my real estate investor identity anymore. Like I am a badass because like with the knowledge I have, like you are actually confident about doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I don't always feel that way. Sometimes <laughs> I, a lot of times I do. And a lot of times I don't, it's not, it's not like a hundred percent, you know, I still have moments where I'm like, Oh my God, you know what? I walk into a room and I'm the only person that looks like me. And I'm like, I don't even know who to go talk to in here. Like, I don't look like anybody in this room. I mean, it's like pre COVID and I'd be nervous. Right. Or you know, so I, I have a couple of email addresses, right? So the one that we're, we're communicating on the SKT properties, 99, you look at the profile picture. It's like, you don't know, right? No, you, it's, it's anonymous, anonymous and you can't tell. So I still have those moments, you know what I mean? But I, I work really hard to push past it. I think we should talk about one thing that we haven't really talked about. And I wanted to start with just an experience that I had recently. 
I am essentially working on projects that are about three hours away from where I live. So I've been shuttling back and forth between Houston and the city that I'm investing in. And I miss my son's soccer game. He's five years old, right? I miss my son's soccer game. And I was crying. (laughs) My My son has, my son has 10 plus years hundreds, thousands of games, right? And I felt bad because I wasn't going to be there. And one thing that, you know, I did actually seek guidance from some of the women real estate investors. And I was just like, you know, I feel so bad about this, but I know like what I am doing is I am building like generational wealth for him. Yeah. But like as women, we sort of feel like we have to do everything, right? We have to be stay-at-home mothers while working two jobs and being like super mom and PTA mom and just like everything all the time. And it caught up with me like a few days ago where I spent most of the morning just crying. And by the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I had a conversation with my son. He didn't care. He did not care that I was... (laughs) at his game. And I was like calling him and like, Oh, I'm so proud of you. I saw you scored six goals. And he was like, "Mm, okay, thanks mom. Love you. Play Nintendo. Like, have you ever had those experiences? Like, because you missed something and, you know, so yeah, I I I have those moments all the time. My kids are teenagers now, and they I've it's been there. It it does never go away. I'm just gonna tell you right now. You're always gonna have those moments where you have to choose between like motherhood and careerhood. You know, and there're gonna be moments in their lives where you miss it, and you're like, oh, I wish I was there, and you feel bad, and then you know it's a trade-off, you know, and then there are those moments where you're there all the time, you know, when you're like, I can't wait to get out of the house, <laughs> like, like COVID. Right. But that doesn't, that doesn't ever, ever go away. You know, I think, I think what's important is building the memories with, with family or your kids or wh- whoever that, that are important. And it's, it, it's, you're not always going to be there. And when you're there, it's, it's going to be an incredible memory for him. And I think, I think the important part is like, you know, he, he didn't even realize it. He didn't even care. You know, if you were never, ever, ever, ever there, I'd be like, oh, I don't know, Santana, you know, you might want to rethink your priorities, you know, but who, who am I to judge that? But I don't think I, I can just say as a mom, I, I've had a lot of those moments and I've, I've had to learn how to, you know, work through them. It happens to all of us. So for me, before, right now, like I fired and I have more control of my schedule. Like I used to work for a Fortune 500 and then later, like working on the management track of like a really big, like a private company, like my department has over 70 people in it, right? A majority male, like a dominant industry as well. So like you, you just understand that there is no balance between life and career, You just, you have to choose and you have to make peace with it. And then that's something I actually learned with my job, but being in the real estate industry, being a real estate investor and able to generate this passive income. Now I have a lot of more control over my schedule, right? I can tell you right now, even with that, I can attend all of his activities. You still feel like that guilty, like that feeling you're not the good enough mom. My sincere sincere suggestions advice to anyone is 
quit some of the mom groups, like quit those mommy groups. You know how like those mommy groups, like my kid is a late walker, right? He was like the 16 month and then he walked his first step. And you ask about these and people like literally comment, oh my gosh, look how cute he is. Oh, he's still not walking yet. He is 16 months. Oh, it's okay. People all come like different ages. I did not ask for your opinion, okay? I was okay <laughs> with him being a late walker until you said something. So like, and then there are like people talking about like, oh, I make like six, seven dishes, like a tiny little things, like little, like whatever, like a four, my kids per meal. My kid, meanwhile, is eating like mac and cheese with some like meatballs and some smashed like veggies in it. As long as he can eat, he's fine. Like it's you comparing yourself with other moms, even though they may not intend to like make you feel guilty or anything. Like you always feel you're not doing enough. Right. Meanwhile, like, I'm not talking about my husband because he is actually a really, really good dad, but like some of like other dads, I changed a diaper today. I play Nintendo with my kid. What a great day I had. I'm such a good dad. Right. And this is the one thing I keep like telling other people, don't judge yourself with the mommy standard. Judge yourself with a dad standard. I am not a good mom by any like standard, by any means or measures. I'm a goddamn good dad. If you judge <laughs> with a dad, so I bring money into the house. I change diaper occasionally. I know all my kids' schedule. Like I do more than enough than the average dad. I'm good enough, right? <laughs> And this is like how I see and how I tell myself, like, I am really good dad. And I allow him to be a really good mom. And this is how our family works and it works perfectly. Okay. I love that. I'm going to say that I'm a goddamn good dad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Some of my guy friends were talking about like, oh, I like I had to bath like the kids today or like I changed like so many poopy diapers, this and that. I'm just like, you guys got it really easy. Like with Mm -hmm. your standard, I'm a really good dad. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I would like to thank Kavel Taylor, Santana Perez and Ming Mercer. That's a wrap. And speaking of real estate, where do I go when I want to hear the latest about real estate? Well, I go to the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast by Coach Carson. There he has two types of episodes, one in which he is the expert, gives you the tips and tricks to this financial asset class. The other is where he has guests. This is proof of concept. People who have used real estate to get to financial independence. It is a great podcast. Check them out at coachcarson.com. Again, that's coachcarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Yeah, so let me let me jump in here for for a perspective on this from the other side and I think the pro- no 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 not this this is this is supporting exactly what you say. Society as a whole seems so patting itself on its back that we talk about equality, right? That we talk about the women's lib movement and equality. And even though we're not there yet, we're getting closer to shattering the glass ceiling. And so a lot of society wants to pat its back, but people 
have not realized that while we're getting closer to equality, we're getting nowhere near equity, which means all of these women CEOs and politicians and people who are breaking the glass ceiling, we're still trying to hold them accountable for also taking care of the kids and being at every parent-teacher conference and doing all these things that we've that that is just silly because you can't be a super woman, which a lot of you guys ended up being because you just did it all. But we never quite figured out that equity portion of saying, okay, you know, you are going to be the best goddamn dad, but that means that your your partner is going to then do all those domestic things that we completely th- still often expect our women CEOs and politicians to do besides the fact that they're kicking ass in the workplace and in politics and doing all that. And to me, that's a big problem. And I, I, I think we're just, we don't recognize it as, as certainly as men and definitely as a society, we're too proud of ourselves for, for, for agreeing that women can and should be doing all of these things when it comes to, comes to the glass ceiling. But and that's even true for men as well. Like my husband, he like sincerely enjoy like spending time with the kids and he likes to drive the kids to different activities and stuff. Like we recently signed our son up for a certain activity. And the first time, like when he dropped off the kid, the instructor was just like, oh, I didn't expect a dad. It's like, why not? Right. So like he has like a lot of these awkward moments as well when he trying to be more helpful with like the families and stuff as well. Yeah, we pat we pat dads on the back when they take a day off or an afternoon off to go do something with the kids. And then a lot of times when mothers who are CEOs try to do the same thing, we tisk tisk and say they need to be in the boardroom, not at home taking care of the kids. It's it's a very double standard, unfortunately, as you guys I'm sure have lived more than I have. But yeah. Just, so, yeah. Um, so I think my biggest learning from trying to be like super mom and super woman all the time is really just like saying no, um, saying no to a lot of things. I remember I was like, just so gung-ho. I was like, I want to be my son's soccer coach. So I did. And I got so burned out. Like I would have to leave work early to be there because he was really little. So they did the practices early. And then I was like, going for like a promotion at work. So I was like working overtime. And then, you know, during this time I had other like real estate and other things going on. And so I was just like burning the candle at both ends. And now I'm just like, no, I have something that I have scheduled and no, I'm not going to do anything else. And if in, and that's with everything, whether it's like a deal, a job opportunity, of relationship, of friendship, if it no longer serves me, if it no longer is contributing to making me a better person, it's not a healthy, positive relationship for me, then I just don't want it. And I definitely don't want it being a part of me or my son's life. And so one of the biggest learnings is like not trying to do it all and just doing what I want to do and what's in like our realm of influence. And even like on the weekends, I was like, I was like, I'm going to go take my son hiking and I'm going to, we're going to go to the park afterwards. And then we're going to have a play date. And then we're going to have another play date. And now we're like, like, uh, like maybe we'll go to the park for an hour. Right. <laughs> maybe we'll go for a bike. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, it works for us. He's still happy. He's still healthy. He's still like a great, you know, little one. And 
me not trying to do everything that super moms do has like helped us so much where we're just like, let's just have a relaxing day. And he's like, yeah, mom, that sounds good. (laughs) So, um, saying no. So my, one of my mentor at my old job, she was the director of the company, right? She is like a black female for holding like a really big position in the company. And she mentioned this to me and really like got me like, it's really helpful. It got me like a clear headed. She said like her mom was telling her this when you growing up, oh, I got you guys fed and you guys all grow up, all went to college. This is like more than good enough. Like what else you need, right? And so think about how all three of us like grow up, right? Like my kid is getting like probably twice as much of like what we had already, right? So stop like worrying about you miss like a soccer game or anything like that. Like he, my husband grew up like, I don't think his parents like joined any single of their like a sports event. Like the fact that like the kid doesn't need to carpool with someone finding out your own transportation is already a big step, right? So we were already doing a good enough job and recognizing that as well. All right. I will cut around some of the stuff. Um, to take out myself and to take out some things that are completely non sequiturs, but otherwise great stories. I think this is going to come out really well. I think fingers crossed, you guys are going to like how it sounds. Cause I'll probably get rid of a lot of the questions and just gel your voices and stories together. If I can do it right. I have it in my mind. Hopefully I can make it sound right, but I think this is going to turn out really, really awesome. And thank you guys for, for being willing to put yourself out there, you know, and being willing to say, you know, being willing to talk about the stuff that's bad, but also what I, what I hear from you guys too, is this sense of strength and accomplishment. And I don't imagine anyone's going to get in your way. That's a testament to who you are. And I think that also shows through your stories and, and through that conversation. And I think both of those together is a nice juxtaposition. It's, 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 it's good to have them together. Right. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.